Thank you for listening to the BJJ Brick Podcast. We'll be bringing you Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and good times. We hope to flatten your Jiu-Jitsu learning curve, help you get the most out of your grappling ability, and meet your goals both on and off the mat. Welcome back, my friends, to episode 141 of the BJJ Brick Podcast. I'm Gary, and I'm here with my friend. If you watched this last week, you know uh, Byron and I are friends. I'm here with my friend, Byron Jabara. How are you, Byron? Gary, I'm doing pretty good. Pretty good. We had a good day so far. Yeah, good day. We got to roll a little bit this morning. Um, and also this week, we had a, a visitor, somebody who listens to the podcast from all the way from Germany, come roll with us. So, uh, um that was fun. It was nice to meet and roll with Denise. So we're always welcoming our listeners to come train with us. Yep. So if you happen to be in Wichita, uh, send us a message and we'd, we'd be happy to train with you. But um, yeah, we have an awesome show today. Um, our interview this week is with uh, black belt Christina Barlin. She's uh, a new black belt. And the crazy thing is her, her first uh, black belt competition, she got silver at the Worlds. Um, not very often does that happen, but uh, so we have an excellent guest who's going to uh, give us a lot of insight and information. Yeah, we're honored to have her on the show. Actually, uh, the good news is, Gary, the interview went a little bit long. It, it was a so it was, we got two. Parts. Yeah, it was it was a it was a she she had the time and she uh, had the knowledge and, and experiences to share with us. So I was like, if you want to keep going, that's good with me. And she was happy to do it. So we have uh, actually two episodes with Christina. So. That's awesome. When you have a lot of knowledge like Christina has, we can turn it into two episodes. We've done that with, with other people. But like Byron tried to interview me once. <laughs> My knowledge base is so little that we couldn't even get an episode in, not even a quarter of an episode. So uh, Byron kind of scratched me off the list. So thank you, Christina. We're glad to have you on the show. <laughs> Gary, we do need to have an official interview with Gary episode. That would be that, – that's a good idea. I'm going to write yeah, that one down. Yeah, it'd be a great episode. Uh, actually, nobody would listen to it but my mom, my son, my daughter, and not 100% sure, but my wife may be able to be talked into it. <laughs> oh, Gary, I think I think you'd surprise yourself. We'd probably get another half a dozen listeners on the show. Yeah, the guys that I train with, my, my buddies that work with me, that I'm their boss that I train with, so they'll have to listen to it. <laughs> you got it going on over there, Gary. Yeah, yep, I really got it going on. Speaking of, I got it going on. To make sure you can always listen to me getting it on. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely uh, sign up for our email list. Um, uh, it's on, we have a link to it on our show notes. Just put your uh, email address in there. We will send you a link to the show and our show notes each and every week on Tuesdays. And that way you'll never miss an episode. You'll... Uh, Every week, you won't have to forget about it. So get onto our email list, and we promise we do not sell your name. We are just uh, trying to get our show out to you guys. Gary, people might be a little confused about what they're going to be getting emailed. Basically, the show notes and a file of – or a link to the file of the uh, the podcast. Nothing else. Right, Gary? Well, actually, <laughs> you do get a little bit more. Oh, man. Do you know what that is, Byron? What, what is it, Gary? You get a little bit of the – the audiobook. Oh, nice. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah, they, uh, that's so what I'm here for. What Gary's talking about, at the bottom of your email, in your email inbox there from, from us, there's a link to a Dropbox folder. It'll have some samples from our audiobook. The audiobook that Gary's talking about is $11.99. It's called Your First Year of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. It is by yours truly, 
And uh, I basically walk you through. It's about two and a half hours long of all the stuff you might expect or not expect to find uh, your first year and kind of help you through those hurdles. Because really, that first year is really important to getting jujitsu uh, as part of your life, finding enjoyment in it, and, and helping you long term. So obviously, if you can't get through your first year, you're not going to even touch the second one. So uh, really, the goal of the book is to really get you through that first year, having a good time, learning as much as you can. Chapter five, uh, your schedule and training. Uh, that could be one of the big things about trying to f- juggle everything in your life and, and, and actually finding time for it in your schedule. And uh, it kind of help you out with some ideas about, about doing this. It's, uh, it's a common reason why people quit jiu-jitsu. They find it fun. They, they, they get a good workout with it. But things happen in their life and they can't maintain it and they just drop out. You know, work, family, life. And uh, and I try, in Chapter 5, I try to help you uh, get through those things that might pop up in your first year with uh, off-the-mat challenges. So definitely check it out. Uh, your first year in BJJ, $11.99, and it's getting some great reviews. Uh, speaking of great reviews, we're also getting great reviews on Byron's YouTube channel. Um, so check out BJJ Brick on YouTube. Subscribe. And Byron's doing a question and answer. So if you do have any uh, questions, you know, send us an email at bjjbrick at gmail.com. And um, Byron will make up a, a little video of with you, with an answer to your question. So um, definitely check it out. Yep, it's uh, it's going okay. We need some questions, I guess, Gary, at the moment, but uh, we'll see how that goes. Yeah, maybe I'll throw in some fake questions. <laughs> I don't need that because I know they would be uh, the the way Gary does his pranks. A lot of his pranks are digital, and they hit uh, people like me, and uh, and I take them hook, line, and sinker. So uh, we'll see what happens on that. But uh, Gary, be nice to me if you do that. Don't, I don't, promise Don't I throw will. too hard of a question at me because I'll no, answer it and throw it up online for everybody else to see, and then it'll come out that it was fake, and there we go. Yeah, and then, uh, <laughs> then we'll get some bad reviews. <laughs> oh, I'm sure people, people on the Internet are always nice. Yeah, that's what I heard. Yeah. That's and what, everything on the Internet you can believe. So it's true. true. Speaking of another thing that's true is we have a quote from our guest last week. So we'll go ahead and air a quote presented by Ricardo Tubbs. Here we go. Jiu-jitsu is easy. It's people who make it hard. You know, uh, uh, Roger Gracie said that um, in an interview. I don't know if he meant it to be a quote, but it kind of stuck with me. Um, you know, jiu-jitsu is kind of easy, you know, if you, if you break it down to the basics. Um, it's just people who make jujitsu hard, like they, they beat themselves up about it. So just, just kind of train and enjoy it, stick to the basics, and uh, you know, sooner or later your jiu-jitsu, your jiu-jitsu will get better. You know, mat time makes the difference. People try to make things more complicated than they are. Also, I could look at this quote maybe as a way as depending on the person you're doing jujitsu with, uh, can yeah. make it a lot harder as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would imagine that uh, training with uh, Roger Gracie Jiu-Jitsu would get a lot harder. <laughs> <laughs> that person would make Jiu-Jitsu hard for, for me to, to pull off. So, <laughs> But, uh, yeah, I mean, don't uh, just go train and enjoy the process of learning and, and uh, don't make it uh, more, more difficult than it needs to be. Yeah, absolutely. That's so. cool. That was our friend uh, Ricardo Tupps presenting the quote, Jiu-Jitsu is easy. It's the people that make it hard. And that's that's interesting because it you can't do jujitsu by yourself. So in one aspect of that, uh, none of it's easy. But uh, 
I, you know, you could talk about like the competition aspect of it, or your training partners making it difficult for you, or the like the off the mat stuff. Um, you know, kind of sometimes it gets a little bit uglier. The politics of things, maybe your your schools kind of don't get along with the other schools in town. Uh, that that could be a, another aspect to look at. That Gary, which way do you see this more as? Yeah. Well, at first, I, I thought the same thing. I was thinking of the off-the-mat aspects, uh, you know, rivalries between schools, instructors not wanting students to train with other people. And, and that's the first thing that came to my head. But, you know, when uh, Ricardo was talking about it, you know, what do you say? Uh, people beat themselves up. He said, train and enjoy yourself. You know, you know, mad time is what, what it is. And then I started thinking about where – you know, like like you said, the mad time, you will get better. Train and enjoy yourself. And I was just thinking, like, sometimes we beat ourselves up so much, we don't think we're getting good quick enough. And, you know, it may lead to us quitting. You know, you're going to be a little down. You may quit. And what he's saying is, you know, have fun. Have a smile on your face. And it seems like – and, you know, I put myself as a good example. There were, you know, years where I could only train once a week. And, and I just remember I was like – and I'd heard people all the time say, you know, hey, you can't get any better if, you know, you're not training three days a week and, you know, this, this or this. And, you know, and, you know, I was like, I don't care. I'm still going to train. And, and I trained whenever I could. I had a smile on my face the whole time. And, and it was kind of neat because I always looked forward to it. And I'm one of those guys, I, I've never quit. I've never taken more than a week off. Um, actually, I think I took three weeks off once when I hurt my ribs. But I've never, like, just... I've never quit. I've never taken a break, a hiatus, um, besides an injury time. And it, it is true. If you just smile and you have fun and, and you have mad time, you are going to get better. And I don't overanalyze myself. I, I know I'm in nothing special. I'm not very good. But I'm going uh, to keep training, and, and I do get better all the time. And and the thing is, I, I'm in this for life. I'm, I'm going to train you know, as long as my body is able. So I think this is an awesome quote. It kind of hit me. Like I said, it hit me one way right off the bat. And then when I started listening to Ricardo talk about it, then uh, then I, you know, another way I started relating to that quote. Gary, you're a little hard on yourself. You know, you're nothing special and not that good. That's, uh... Oh, so now you're telling me I'm hard on myself and I'm going to quit? <laughs> <laughs> Meet me on the mat right now, Byron. Okay, and then we'll see that uh, that you are very special, or I'm well, down there with yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> no, but what I'm really trying to say is, you know, I don't think of myself as, as a great jiu-jitsu guy or anything. I, I consider myself as a guy who loves jiu-jitsu. I, I don't treat it as a, as a sport and end-all. I treat it as I, I just love doing it. Yeah. I, I, you know, I don't care. You know, I just... I don't care how much I learn, what belt I am, you know, who I can be, who I can't be. I just love doing it. It's, I have a smile on my face. It's like, I guess it's for me like playing video games, you know. I guess people play video games and they just enjoy it. For me, I get out on the mat and it's something I enjoy. It's, it reminds me of a kid when I was playing cops and robbers with the kids in the neighborhood. I was just having so much fun and and I feel like a big kid when I'm out there on the mat because it, it's so fun. I don't ever want to miss it. Yeah, I, with this quote, you know, people make it hard. I think people hit that that plateau sometimes, and they kind of feel like I've, I've trained an entire week, month, year, and I'm the same grappler. I haven't done anything different. I haven't got any better, and that's frustrating. And that's maybe an example of people making it hard for themselves. Yeah, 
And because yeah. it's not the instant gratification. It's you're not going to get better overnight. It's there's so many things you have to learn, especially if you don't come from a wrestling or or any type of combat sports background. It's a it's a slow process, and and you have to you know just enjoy it, or otherwise it, it's going to be tough to uh, stick with it for the long run. Yeah, and uh, so don't make it super hard on yourself. You know, of course, you know you're not going to become uh, like Christina Barlin if you're not pushing yourself into things like that. So if you have goals for jiu-jitsu, uh, yeah, there's going to be different stresses for you. But if you are just wanting to get better, have fun, enjoy the process, uh, make some friends, get in shape, figure out what your goals are, and look. You know, let's say because I know if you train for an entire year. No matter what belt you are, or how, you know how many years you've been training, you'll get better in that time. You're going to be better. Yeah. But if, let's just say you didn't get better. Let's say you you leveled off and you just stayed exact same. Well, you're exercising. You're 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 hanging out with your friends. You are helping other people with their jujitsu. It's not just about how much better you're getting every day. So I don't know. It, yeah, that's a great point. It's true. It, even if you're, let's just say, my skill level never got better. As long as I'm having fun, I love the social aspect. I love the guys I train with. That's that's a win-win right there. There you go. And so. and as you made the point, you're helping others. You're, you're helping other people better get better. Yeah. And so it, the quote we can flip it upside down on his head. Uh, Jiu-jitsu is easy. It's the people that make it hard. Jiu-jitsu is hard. It's the people that make it easy. You know, good, you go in there for <laughs> topsy turvy. That quote. Yeah. You never told me today is opposite. <laughs> Jiu-Jitsu is hard, but if you yeah. have certain yourself by good quality people, by friends, uh, it, it makes it a lot easier. And, and that's anything can be difficult if you want to excel at it and, and you have real hard goals. So uh, I don't know. The quote works both good both ways, yeah. and we just kind of made that up right there. But uh, hopefully, it's not yeah. super crazy. Yep, yeah. man. I tell you, that's probably the most we've talked about quotes. So thank you, Ricardo. <laughs> that's a that's a great quote. That really uh, really got us talking. Normally, Byron and I don't like each other that much, and we don't really get into lively conversation <laughs> um hey speaking of lively conversations um man we got an awesome uh it's not really an article of the week it's more of uh what would you say it is barn uh information of the week? yeah we could say information this week yeah yeah we- um this week uh one of our listeners sent in um Basically, she's the organizer of this. It's a, it's called Park and Roll. Uh, you can go to parkandroll.org. Um, her name is uh, Latina Mason, and man, it's just a, it's a cool, cool concept. It's, uh, it's held in Atlanta, Georgia, and basically, what it is is you drive up, you park your car, um, you register beforehand on your handheld device or your your laptop or whatever, and uh, you bring an ID and. And you have a bunch of people from different schools, different areas of Atlanta, or I guess probably even come from a lot farther than Atlanta, and just come down there for an open mat, enroll, meet new friends, and get better, as we were just talking about, enjoy the social aspects. But uh, I, I think this is an incredible idea. Yeah, you, you do park your car, but it's also in a park in Atlanta there. Which is a, oh, a, so a double park. <laughs> a double park. It's a neat idea. It's, it's, it's bringing... Jiu-jitsu into the public, where people can see that we're not, uh, you know, breaking boards and 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 that sort of thing. We're we're oh, we could break boards. We could break boards. I, I wouldn't want to try to break a brick, Gary. No, no, that's bricks are a lot harder. That builds your foundation. 
<laughs> little plug right there. Yeah, I appreciate that. Good, nice, uh, very smooth. And then the fact that we didn't even mention the plug makes it no. even smooth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so it's 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 cool. We don't have anything like this where we're from. Um, I wish we did. We can. I mean, there's nothing holding us back. Yeah. Uh, but people just walking around the park will see people training. What is this? And I, I, don't, I haven't been to this uh, park and roll, but I would imagine it's a kind of a more fun and playful environment. You don't have two uh, athletes really going at it super hard, you know, as an example of what jiu-jitsu is. Maybe you do, maybe you don't. But I'd imagine if I'm walking by, I don't even know that this exists. And I see you two guys like flying all over the mat, you know, trying to, you know, try every possible thing and crazy scrambles. I'm not going to try that. But if I see two people kind of working over some stuff and, and having fun and, and, and being sociable, maybe I will try that. You know, maybe I, I'll try this jujitsu thing out. So, yeah. And I mean, that's the goal just to get, you know, more and more people to try it. I kind of like uh, their little tagline, Atlanta's first outdoor open mat but then she says many tribes one passion and it's like you all have the passion people come from all over but i guarantee a lot of people who have been afraid to try it or or who may not maybe a little afraid of uh you know the monetary part you know paying you know signing up for a contract they can come here a couple times uh, register and and try it out and uh, yeah i guarantee you they've probably helped you know, increased jujitsu in the state of Georgia, especially the Atlanta area, just just through this. So, uh, I just think it's an awesome idea. Yeah, and you could, and they also teach uh, self defense stuff. And I mean, you got to show people what they want to see. And you know, of course, people do, showing coming in first time don't know what it's about, aren't really interested in how to do umaplata. They don't even know what if, if that exists. But they, everybody knows a little bit of hey, self defense would be nice. How is this related to that? So definitely, they're focusing on their audience there and that helps and they're showing people what it looks like to roll and to train and it's not super scary and we're not getting injured all the time uh that being said if gary was at this open mat and he's going to do what he does quite a bit is like hobbles off the mat in pain and then he'll be back on the mat he'll limp back in and roll again and beat me up and then he'll hobble away maybe gary you know it's not good to see good press to see somebody so injured and then uh, continuing to to take the <laughs> take it like that I think you're making fun of my age again. So, uh, yeah, I really appreciate that, Byron. Age discrimination. I'm, I'm, I'm teasing you for how tough you are. It's uh, oh. a lot of times I would just it doesn't go sound home. like stuff. It sounds a little bit more like stupidity. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, if you, you know the old song, if you're going to be dumb, you got to be tough. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> If you're gonna be dumb, you gotta be tough When you get knocked down, you gotta get back up I ain't the sharpest knife in the drawer, but I know enough to know If you're gonna be dumb, you gotta be tough But, uh, you know, I like uh, in this the, the flyer here, it says uh, Participation in park and roll will encourage you to take chances and push beyond your limits, ultimately building your self-confidence both on the mat and off the mat, meeting other practitioners, building a sense of community, and communing in nature. Park and roll promotes an overall fitness of body, mind, and spirit. I just think that's that's great right there. You're, you really do. You, it's almost like a, a tournament. You know, you're you're taking your chance. You're, you're, you're 
you're doing something out of the box, you're pushing yourself, and you know it's going to make your confidence stronger. But on top of that, you're just having a great time and and meeting other people. It's a uh, it's just such a positive positive idea. Yep, we'll put a link to this in the show notes, of course. And uh, yep. if you're in the area, definitely check it out. It's, uh, yep. Every it was every Saturday morning at ten o'clock, or it's Sunday morning. Sunday 10 morning. Grant Park in Atlanta, which is the corner of Millage and Cherokee Avenue, and there's free parking along the street. So don't miss out and, and sign your waiver beforehand and make sure you bring your ID with you. There we go. Sounds like a good plan. And if maybe your area needs a, a park and roll idea going on and, and you can get inspired by this and help bring Jiu-Jitsu to more people, which is always good. Yep, that's the, that's the key right there. Gary, we got an interview coming up here. I wanted to give a little preview because we have a new segment at the end of the uh, towards the end of the show. What we, would that be? We have a, a segment. For springing this on me. <laughs> we we have a new segment. It's called uh, Matt Tales. Basically, uh, we're going to need some help getting these going. But uh, amazing stories from the mat uh, presented to you in a, like a little short story format. So uh, we'll have our first one to air, and then it probably be. Hopefully another week or two go by and we'll have another one. We won't be able to do this every week because it takes a bit more work and we actually need stories. So yeah. uh, both those need to happen. But uh, yeah, this is uh, it, it's it's a lot of fun I think, and it's just a just a fun way to to learn to, about stories of jujitsu, which we're all interested in stories. So yep. So if you have a story, uh, let us know. Send it to us. BJJBrick at gmail dot com. Yep, and we'll air you the first uh, Matt tale. Uh, after the interview so he is the most interesting grappler in the world after winning ADCC Barbara Walters interviewed him and she cried he once got lost in the Amazon jungle he had a flying arm bar on an anaconda word on the street is he once escaped Alcatraz by shrimp crawling During The Ultimate Fighter, Dana White often calls him for a pep talk. I don't always listen to podcasts, but when I do, I prefer the BJJ Brick Podcast. Stay sweaty, my friends. All right, my friends, I'm happy to bring Christina Barlan to the BJJ Brick Podcast. Christina, welcome to the show. Hi, thank you for having me. I'm happy to have you. You've uh, been pretty busy here the past week or so, or you know, weeks up into that. But uh, uh, we're happy to have you and get to know you a little bit better and, and hopefully learn from you today. Could you just kind of give us a little bit of a personal history uh, of what got you started in jiu-jitsu and kind of where you're at right now? Uh, so I started doing jiu-jitsu October 27th. 22nd, 2007. Have it down to the date. <laughs> and uh, I was like, I can't believe you can remember the date. And it just so happens because it was at exactly a year after I, I signed up for Muay Thai, um, which is why I started off with over at the Caesar Gracie Academy. I had no idea what jujitsu was, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> I only knew what Muay Thai was because I watched a lot of you know martial arts movies, a lot, like Jean-Claude Van Damme and um, like Tony Jean movies and uh, really into that when I was a kid. Um, you know, of course, like Jackie Chan, Bruce Lee, Jet Li, all those types of movies, and then, you know, kind of evolved. And so I found jujitsu, I guess, kind of like by accident. You know, I, I walked into Caesar Gracie's Academy, just um, was going to have dinner at a restaurant next door to it. 
and I'll say, oh, what's this? You know, they teach Muay Thai here. Let's go check it out. And uh, I had had a class going on, and they asked me if I wanted to watch, and they were talking about, oh, we have UFC fighters here and this and that. I'm like, I don't even know what that is. It doesn't mean anything to me. <laughs> you know, they're throwing around like, yeah, Nick Diaz trains here, Nick Diaz. I'm like, I, I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't mean anything. But I knew what Muay Thai was. I'm like, oh, okay, maybe I can check out that program. And so started off with that. And my Muay Thai instructor was a blue belt under Caesar. And he thought that was really flexible. He's like, hey, you know, let me, let me, uh, let me try something on you. And he tried putting, putting me into a Kimura. And at the time, I didn't know what it was. I thought he was just trying to chicken wing me or something. And so I rotated my shoulder out and he freaked out. He's like, oh my God, what was that? I'm like, oh yeah, I'm really flexible on my shoulders. You know, it's, it's, you know, I can just kind of rotate it out. And he showed it to Caesar. He's like, Caesar, check this out. <laughs> so I did the, my little trick with my shoulder, and he's like, oh, my God, this girl needs to learn jiu-jitsu. <laughs> I'm like, I need to learn what? And and uh, Dan, that's his name, Dan Black, was my my, uh, my coach. He tried showing me how to do, like, a triangle, an arm bar, I think a normal plata or something. I didn't know what it was. It was all nogi. It didn't make any sense to me. And... At first, I was just like, I don't think I'm going to like this stuff. I don't think jiu-jitsu for me. Um, they tried having me roll with this, like, wrestler girl, and and she was bigger than me, of course, and it didn't make any sense to me. Like, how does someone who's smaller, be, how, how can they be good at this? You know, they're, if someone's more athletic, and so I just said, oh, jiu-jitsu's not for me. And it took me exactly a year before I tried it out again, and my teammate, Virgil, was he really got me to say you know try it with the gi see just try it again with the gi see how you like it I'm like all right okay I'll give it a try and I borrowed his gi top I think I grabbed a loner belt I didn't even have gi pants I just wore grappling shorts so I <laughs> looked like I was doing sambo <laughs> that's like the, <laughs> the whole look going on which is actually pretty common over at Caesars at that time uh, I had a lot of, like, the old school guys who it's like, oh, just put the gi top on so I can train with the gi, but they wouldn't have gi pants, so they just have their grappling shorts on. Um, and I was hooked. All of a sudden, adding the gi, jiu-jitsu made sense. It's like, wow, you know, this is this is really cool. I think I could be really good at this. And um, uh, something that was also kind of funny about this time, too, is, and I always kind of add this in a lot with, like, the female audience, too, is... I had to break up with my boyfriend at the time in order to start training jujitsu. You know, I was pretty much going to be the only girl in class, um, smaller. And, you know, he, my, my boyfriend at the time did Muay Thai, but he, he wasn't that crazy about training. I loved training. I loved being at the gym and, and he didn't feel the same way. And I, I think about that if I had let him control me the way that he did, throughout the rest of the relationship, like, you know, when we were together, that I would have never done jujitsu if I just listened to him. You said, oh, you're not really going to be good. You know, they're, they're just going to rough you up and, and they're just going to take advantage of you. And, and I don't want you doing jujitsu because I don't want you, I don't want you rolling with the guys. I don't want you doing this and that. And I just, essentially just, I don't want you doing jujitsu. And I remember feeling like, no, I think I could be really good at this. And I don't understand how, you don't want me to do something that could be really good for me. And so that was the first step for like taking a stand. And I really believe that jujitsu helped me also martial arts in general, helped me make that stand. So, um, 
I couldn't sign up for classes right away. I had to exchange with the Caesar, like, oh, maybe I can teach like stretching classes or maybe I can clean the mats or something to, to compensate for taking jujitsu classes because I couldn't afford it at the time. I could only afford to do Muay Thai. And they're like, okay, well, if you do these things, then maybe you can hop into a class every now and then. I'm like, all right. So whenever I could, I tried to hop into class, I would. And, um, and I will kind of piss off my, my Muay Thai instructors. Like, you have a fight coming up. I'm like, oh, but I want to, I want to do jujitsu, you know? And, um, when I finally was able to officially sign up, that is when Kaio Teha was uh, coming in to be the new, new head instructor of the jujitsu program. Caesar brought him in. And I remember he came in and, and Caesar was like, this is going to be our new instructor. And I'm looking at him like that kid, that kid, that kid right there <laughs> who looks like he's 14, that kid right there. Scrawny kid looks like he's not even any bigger than me. He's like, yes, this, that he's, he's a metal one. Like, don't, don't count his size out. And it was funny because I'm the smallest person for the most part in the class. And you would think that I would have some sort of like empathy, but I was just really, just <laughs> really in disbelief. Like, there's no way, there's no way. And then I saw him roll with some of the guys in class and sweeping and submitting guys who were like, 200 you know plus pounds like it was nothing like he was just you know flick of the wrist and then you know they're tapping and i was like oh my god you know at first i was like is this a joke and people are like messing with me I'm like no it's real <laughs> and and um and i knew it was real because the the guys he was rolling with they would all have the same perplexed look on their face like what just happened <laughs> you know <laughs> like this kid that looks like he's no older than 14 15 years old and and of course he was, he was young he was um but he was also 21 you know he's like kaya was only six years uh six months older than me um and so we're pretty much the same age and and so they're all looking at him like, what the heck? You know, like, this is insane. So uh, I was really lucky that I was able to start off as a white belt, officially, you know, officially, like, as a white belt with him, with Kyle, and, and learning his fundamentals and learning his basics. And um, and he, it, because of him, that I really learned to fall in love with jiu-jitsu for the technique. Because, you know, before it was just like, oh, this is awesome that you can, I can have this this grip and I can, I can have this leverage and, and the empowerment feeling was the, the factor there was great. Um, but then seeing how Kayo did jujitsu, it was a whole nother ballpark. It was like, um, watching someone solve a Rubik's cube, you know, with their body or, uh, put together a puzzle and you're getting to watch it unfold. And then all of a sudden I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, you can do that with your body. You can, you can do that. That's possible. And, uh, it just changed the way I looked a lot at a lot of things. And it really just really uh, complimented like how I like learning. And, uh, from there I, I you know, I was hooked. It's like, that's, that's all I want to do now. It's like, all I want to do is jujitsu. You know, Muay Thai took like a major back seat. I, you know, I, I stopped losing passion for it. You know, I think in the beginning I just wanted to do Muay Thai because you get the, the instant satisfaction of getting to punch or kick something or someone, you know? Um, but there were a lot of walls as far as even if I had good technique, if someone was bigger and stronger and more athletic, um, you know, I would still have a hard time finding, finding success and, and, and something just felt very forced about it, you know? And then jujitsu came along and it seemed like the perfect fit. It seemed like, Jiu-Jitsu should have been in my life, my entire life, 
And I'm so sad that I'm only finding it when I'm 21. Um, and that's something that a lot of people don't know is that I, I started, you know, 21 is actually still pretty early for women to start doing jujitsu. I feel like most women start in their late 20s or even in their early 30s. Um, most women that I've, I've ever met that start doing jujitsu um, are moms, you know, and, and they start because their their kids are doing it, their husbands are doing it, or significant others doing it, and, and, and they get pulled into it because, you know, their loved ones are doing um, and they want to be included. And so the most of the women that I've met, um, you know, they, they, they start later in their lives. 21 is still relevantly early, um, but if you compare that to guys who most of them start, you know, when they're younger or even if they start when they're teenagers, you know, I haven't been doing it that long, um, especially to, like, say, example, some of my, um, some of the other competitors I compete with in, in my division who have all been doing it since they were, you know, younger, you know, like some of the Brazilian athletes um, who that's in their lifestyle or, you know, that easier access to it because of, you know, because it's from Brazil. And, um, and I, I like that even though I was, I started relevantly like later in life again, like as an adult, like 21. Um, and I was able to find success in it that, it, that man, you can start, you can talk jiu-jitsu at any age and you can be good at it. You know, so I, why I look up to guys like Cobrino who also started up, I think he was like 21 or 22 and he was a baker <laughs> and, and look at him multiple, multiple time world champion. So, um, now that, you know, I had that little bit as a white belt and everything. I, when I started, I was a full-time student. I had a job. And, and then once I graduated, and I, I was like a registered veterinary technician. I was an RVT, went to school. I had a license for it and never did anything with it. Ended up just doing jujitsu for <laughs> doing jujitsu <laughs> and making it my life. And I'm, I'm so happy that I did. Uh, we've got a lot going on here. I have some, a couple of follow-up questions for you on that, and I definitely want to get uh, to your competition history and, and kind of learn about you there as well. Just right off the bat, like I can't even picture what you mean by you rolled your shoulder out of a Kimura. Can you can't maybe describe that to me and, and what is going on there? Um, so, you know, like can you see like videos of people who do like all this contortion stuff where they have like their hands behind their back and then they can pull it up over their heads? Okay. And, and so, it dis- so pretty much oh. the shoulder dislocates and pops back out. Yeah. I can't do it anymore um, because obviously I, I, I have more muscle tone there. But um, when I was I, – I was uh, lucky enough that I was born really flexible as a child. Like I didn't really have to work for my flexibility. I know it sounds, I sound so privileged saying that. Um, but what I did – do was that I was dancing since I was five. I've been into performing arts since I was five, um, particularly spending eight years doing ballet. I thought ballet was going to be my life. And so um, although it was very flexible, I still stretched. And with the addition of ballet, it helped me learn like the muscle control. So with my, sh- the trick I did with my shoulder, I had, when did I start doing that? I think I was maybe 12 years old when I realized that I could, I could dislocate my shoulder out um, I, I, I think, um, I just like, I locked my fingers behind my back and then I tried to see if I could go all the way through and, and I, and I could, well, actually it started off with like, I was holding, um, holding like a piece of wood and 
I can, my arms can go all the way, uh, you know, back and, and through. And so a trick that I was used to do when I was a kid, I was like, I'd play jump rope with my arms, <laughs> which I would, you know, <laughs> jump through the hands and then it would come up over my head and go all the way through. And, and everyone would be like, Oh my God, that's so weird. That's so gross. <laughs> and, um, and, and, you know, to this day, I can still do like little weird tricks with my body. Like, um, uh, there's like a little video that my sponsor jiu-jitsu got from a seminar where, um, my toes fold all the way back so I can fold my toes and they'll touch the back of uh, the top of my foot. Um, <laughs> or, or my arms, my arms bend, um, bend backwards. So if you look at my arm and, it, and if I have my arm out it, and it appears straight, but for me, it looks, it feels bent. So when I straighten it all the way, it, my arm hyperextends and bends backwards and it, it looks like it's broken. <laughs> so I just, yeah, how that looks is, I, I can't do it anymore, but essentially, yeah, it just the wow. shoulder just rotates out and then comes back, and then the arm comes all the way through. I picture um, a, a lot of people who are listening to this, as I just did myself, I tried to touch my hands behind my back. I can't even touch them behind my back. I love them, like, <laughs> get a good grip enough to, ouch. Yeah, I was one of those that I... Um, they're saying like, oh, if like if you ever got arrested, you could you could escape, you know, get yourself out of that. Because I'm like, one, it's like I hope I never get arrested, and two, I'm pretty sure if I got arrested, I probably would be trying to escape. I'm I'll be a good citizen and, and take my punishment. Well, but, you're... It, but if I was held hostage, then I go. guess I could I could escape. You know, that's a little a little more positive scenario to think of instead of doing a. You could have, instead of doing jujitsu, you could have went to be a criminal mastermind and always escaped. <laughs> um, you also mentioned that uh, your no, you started, you looked at nogi and it didn't make sense to you, and yeah. and the gi made a lot more sense. If if someone's listening, and, and and they're like basically in the same shoes you were back then, and and they only have nogi uh, where they're training, maybe they're at the same Muay Thai gym, they do some nogi a couple times a week, uh, nothing with the gi. Um, what would you say to them to maybe explain to them, like maybe somebody could have said to you when you were uh, just starting and trying the nogi to make it make sense a little bit better? Oh, let's see. Well, for me, uh, the reason why nogi didn't make sense to me was because I didn't have a lot of natural attributes to depend on in order to compensate my lack of knowledge of what I was doing. So, um, again, I was smaller than everybody. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm fit. I'm, I'm strong for my size, but I'm not that strong. I, at least I don't think I am. I, I think a lot of people will, will look at me and see what I do with my body and say, Oh my God, you're, you're freaking strong. Um, but in my mind, I think like, no, I just know what positions I'm strong in. I know where I'm strong and I know how to accentuate that. Um, but I have no natural attributes, and and the and another funny thing is too is that growing up as as a performing artist um, and not playing sports growing up, I was never good at playing any type of team sport. If there was a ball and it involved going into a goal, I wasn't good at it. Um, I was always picked last. So the first time anyone told me that I was athletic. Um, was my jiu-jitsu coach, um, Salvadantas. And, and so after, um, there was a time I didn't stay in California. I didn't stay under Kyle and Caesar forever. I, I actually had to move to Arizona. Um, and I had a, and a different instructor and, and he was the first person to tell me that I was athletic. 
And that happened when I was like 22 years old. That was the first time anyone told me, Christina, you are athletic. And so, um, so that at the time that I first started doing jujitsu, I didn't think I had athleticism to depend on. I didn't have strength to depend on. I didn't have size um, or speed. I didn't have any of those things. So you're trying to teach a sport to me um, in in which I have no context of what it's supposed to feel like, what it's supposed to look like, and how I'm supposed to move. Um, you know, essentially what was being taught to me, um, again, in that nogi sense was put your hand here, put your, put your foot here, put your hip here, and then you move this certain way and there you go. And so if you, if I just did the move itself it was be fine, you know, I could learn, I could learn the technique fine. Perfect. Right. And then when it came to, all right, why don't you try rolling? then that's when it didn't make sense. Um, I just felt completely lost because if someone was sweaty, I said I didn't have a good, I didn't have a grip. If someone was faster than me or someone was stronger than me, I, I didn't understand how to, to apply leverage. I didn't understand how, what it meant to have a base. I didn't understand how to have any of these things. Um, essentially I just felt like I was flailing around. Um, it's kind of like someone threw me to the ocean and said, Hey, learn how to swim that's what it felt like for me. And, and so what the gi did was one, it slowed down everything. So whoever was fast before it slowed them down. Right. Cause all of a sudden I had grips. Um, and, and the grips allowed me to, to be strong, right. That, that gave me, um, a place to feel like, okay, even though they're bigger than me, even though they're stronger than me, I can have my two hands on their body somehow, and somehow this makes me feel safe. You know, somehow this keeps me attached to you as opposed to me feeling like I have to, I have to play catch up or again, trying to, I guess, hold a fish right now. I have, I have a, a way of maneuvering a person and, and that's, that's essentially when it started making, making sense to me because now I understood why it was important that I had a grip, a certain place why I had to have my hand where it needed to be or why my foot needed to be on the hip or why I need to position my body. Um, I had a little bit more time to think about it and, and it made more sense. Like if I didn't have this grip, um, then it doesn't work. And, um, and with Nogi, it, when you don't have the grip, at least for me at that time, um, it was just kind of like, um, where do I grab? Where do I, where, where do I, how do I attach myself to this person so that I can, I can maneuver myself around this person. Um, and so what I would suggest for anyone that's, that, that they don't have a gi program. And this is actually, um, one of the things I have to do on a daily cause I teach a no gi program at a uh, MMA school. So there is no gi program there. And my students have no context of what it is to, to roll jujitsu with the gi. And, um, and so, and surprisingly enough, the majority of my students are all guys who are way bigger than me and who have a lot of natural attributes to depend on. Um, but when they roll, they're always like, what's going on? Like, I, I'm not understanding. And I have to, I always have to relate to them that, um, you are depending too much on what you're naturally giving and, in order for you to improve and in order for you for it to make sense, you actually just slow down and you actually need to take the time to think about why it is you're doing what you're doing. 
Um, I think once I added in the why, that's when I started seeing more progress with, um, with my students because I had to tell them that you may be big and you may be strong, but someone is also going to be big and strong and someone's going to know more than you. And then what are you going to do? You can't, like, your athleticism can fail you. Your strength can fail you. Your ability to be, to be, um, agile can fail you. All of that can fail you, but at the end of the day, your technique won't. Um, and so, uh, particularly for women, um, or people who are smaller and they find that they're having difficulty, um, and they only can only learn no gi and they don't have the option of having the gi, um, really, really focus on the why. Really don't, um, don't underestimate the power of the details. Don't just put your grip anywhere. Don't just grab the wrist and, and, and just grab it just because. Understand that there's a reason why that you have that wrist or your, or your body's positioned a certain way, um, or why you need to frame up. Um, and then it gets easier from there. Um, once, once a gi got added to the, uh, to the picture for me, no gi made so much more sense. And then I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it because I didn't feel like I was drowning anymore. I felt like I was, I felt like I was given floaties. You know, now I'm, I, now I'm <laughs> wading in and, and now I understand, um, how to put my body. And then I was able to start rolling, um, no gi because, because the gi made, um, the gi slowed it, slowed it down and it, and I get it, it equalized it. It, it, it made the, the playing field equal with, with my training partners who were bigger than me. And, and then once I had the knowledge and the technique from the gi, it was easier for me to transfer it to no gi. Um, so even when you can't have the gi in, it's always just going to be about the technique at the end of the day. Even when you're going with people who are bigger and stronger than you, you have to really uh, find a way to impose the technique really try to slow it down and then and then in turn you're going to end up slowing down your your opponent or instead of trying to catch up to them you're going to move around them um which is what i had to do in my case since i'm smaller well that's that's very interesting you also mentioned that when you first wanted to start jujitsu um, you really couldn't really sign up for it yet so you were you know offering to clean and to teach a, a stretching class or something like that like i, I really see the drive that you had back then I, I can't train right now but can i do something so i can train yeah, anything you know let me clean the mats let me let me help out around the gym with anything i could do and just to the coaches out there if you have somebody like that asking you for this you might have the next uh christina knocking at your door you know and trying to trying to just <laughs> someone that eager and excited to train uh you know it's it's a good idea to let, to help them uh you know get that first foot in the door and let them get on the mat you know it's that's something that uh that I, that I didn't know that you did, and, and I really like that about you. And then I, you also mentioned that when you first saw Kyle, how this small person, I think you probably, and I don't know, I could be wrong completely, but from my experience, I, I've always been a little bit smaller, but not not that small. When I started, I was about 150 pounds, and I was the smallest guy in the class. And, and when I saw somebody come in who was about my size and very skilled, I was floored. I, I just couldn't believe how how he was doing everything. And and so you said that you really, you know, who is this guy? He's so small. He's not going to be able to do anything. And you you kind of just doubted what was going to happen because I think, uh, at least from when I experienced that, I saw my struggles in them and I saw that it was, it seemed like it was overcome so easily by this person. They're like, wow, maybe I could do this. Maybe I could be good at jiu-jitsu if I see this person uh, using this to, to do so well. 
Yeah, exactly. Like when I saw, when I finally got to saw, uh, got to see uh, Kyo like teach and move, immediately it was just like, that's the jujitsu I want. I want my, I want my jujitsu to to look like that. I want it to feel like that, like how smooth and how effortless and just how precise that is the jujitsu I want. And and um, and again too, just like again proving like the like technique conquers all. That that's his that's his saying yeah. that um, he really made me believe in jujitsu. Like there, he is the the sole reason why I believe in jujitsu the way I do, and it was because of being able to see him, like not only just doing and teaching, um, but just seeing how jujitsu looked like. Because when Kyle first got to Caesars, he was he was hustling. He was he was you know had to. Live. It was not easy for him. You know he was living out of the gym. You know he had to really work for every. Every um, every dime that he had, he saved all the time. Was always saving his money. He would, you know, um, buy like a sandwich and he would split it into three so he could eat, spread it out so he could eat throughout the day. You know, um, of course Caesar was paying him, but I mean he 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 always was always striving for more, always trying to do more. You know, so he could have more, and and not spending money all the time, not um, not just you know going around and partying, he was very focused and, and, um, he set a really, really good example of like, man, like he gave up a lot, you know, he, he could have been, um, living in Brazil and have everything he wants. Um, but he decided to take that risk and come to the U S and, and, and teach. And, you know, and I'm pretty sure it was only supposed to be uh, temporary. I think he was only going to do it for a year, and then he ended up staying forever. <laughs> and now he has his own school, and, um, and he has his own students. And that all started, you know, 2007. You know, he came in, and you know, there's like a lot of a lot of doubt, like that could it could it happen? Could it could could he make it happen? And he did, just by pure strength of will and by really believing and putting into it. And I see, I saw that as a white belt, I already saw that. And, and man's like, that's, that's the kind of person I want to be. That's the, that's the kind of drive I want to have. And, and I was doing it already as a white belt, you know, like, even though, again, I was a full-time student. Um, I was in vet tech school. I had internships because of, of uh, my vet tech school. And I also had a job to pay my bills and pay for training and pay for all that. Um, working at the county animal shelter and then um and i was training pretty much every day um or at least five days a week i was training because I, I wanted to and and i would i would fix my schedule so like and even when i had homework and i had exams and i had all this work i, I would always make it a point it's like no i need to train i need to train i want to train you know and um i didn't even realize that competition or competing was going to have such a big role in my life like that becoming a jiu-jitsu athlete was going to be my life. I just knew that I wanted to do jiu-jitsu. I just knew that I wanted to train. I knew that I had to have it in my life, but I had no idea that it was going to be my life. Or at least I didn't know that that's how I was going to make my, essentially make my living, which is what I do now, um, is doing nothing but jiu-jitsu. Um, and still growing, you know, I'm, I'm still, still young and I'm still, you know, I still see myself as a baby in, in this, in the sport and what I want to accomplish. But, Kyle made me believe that it is possible to 
be a small, like you could be the underdog, like you could be the smallest person in the room and it had have nothing to do with if you are, you know, powerful or not. You could be small, but you could still be powerful. You could still pack that punch. You can, um, and it, I don't know, I, I just, uh, stopped doubting myself or at least I could just believe a little bit more. Like, again, like not always being the little guy, not being the smallest one on the mat, but even though I'm small, I, I'm still, I'm still a valid, I'm still valuable to the team. I'm still, I, I still have that potential to be something greater. Absolutely. Hey, Christina, it seems like you had such a great example with Kayo of, of a martial artist, of an instructor, of somebody who was really, was working hard to accomplish their goals. And, and it seems like that was a great thing to have with you. I want to get a little bit into your competition history. Can you maybe just highlight a couple of early competitions and, and bring us up to the, the current, current day? Uh, Early competitions. Okay. Uh, let's see. <laughs> so my, I, I joke about it, but I mean, it's funny. Um, my first time ever competing in jujitsu ever uh, was the, so it was the first time that they introduced a white belt division at the, two, at, at the worlds. Um, it's not, a, it's not a world title. They call it the international novice, but because it's at the worlds, people call it, oh, it's white belt worlds, but it's not a world title. I am, I am saying, I'm saying that now because a lot of people like to say that I'm a world champion and I am not, I am not a world champion yet. Um, big emphasis on yet because it's going to happen, <laughs> um, as, as this, um, as this year and this past weekend, um, I will say it's a testament to that, but I can see that can be done. But the 2008 uh, Worlds was the first time that they had the white belt division, um, which they called the, the International Novice um, uh, Championship that they had for white belts. Um, and that was my first time ever competing in jiu-jitsu ever. I didn't realize how big this event was. I didn't realize what it meant. All I knew was that Kyle told me to sign up. He said, you need to, like, yeah, you should sign up. I'm like, are you sure? And it's like a big tournament, isn't it? Like, just sign up. Like, you're going to do, you're, you're going to do well. You just, just sign up. I'm like, okay. okay. And, you know, and it has seemed like everybody else was like really excited to sign up for it too. So I was like, all right, I guess I'm going to sign up. And, um, and then I ended up winning. And I, I, and I think I was only training about six months at the time. Uh, technically it was, uh, eight months, but two months I was out because I, I, um, messed up my ankle really, really bad, uh, trying to learn how to skimboard and I popped my ankles. Like I'm, I, I'm pretty sure there was ligament damage. I just never saw a doctor. I never got it looked at. And to this day, my ankle is still messed up because <laughs> I was just really ignorant and I didn't want to do anything about my ankle. So, um, it never healed properly, but, um, so I was out for two months. So at that point I was only training six months and I, I did my first tournament and I ended up winning. Um, wow. And, and everyone's like, oh my God, you know, white belt world champion. I'm like, dude, shut up. I'm not a world champion. <laughs> like, even as, as a white belt, I was like, stop, don't call me world champion. I'm not. I'm international novice, whatever. And I didn't know what stripes were. I didn't even know what proper etiquette was to be on the podium. I had like my, my gi open. My belt was like all tied, all messed up. And I, and, um, and that same year, uh, in that same tournament, uh, Kyle needed a, a gi to weigh in with and, and he needed a lighter geese. So he asked me if he could use my gi and, um, it was actually the gi I bought from him. So I bought my very first gi from Kyle 
because he had lots of geese that were my size because we're the same size. And, um, and he ended up winning his very first black belt title, um, at the 2008 worlds. And, and we had the same geese. So I, I always like talking about that memory as my first tournament experience and, and, um, getting to be able to experience that with Kyle, like, Oh wow. That's like my first tournament ever. And his first, uh, first world title as a black belt. Um, and, um, and then from there, it's just like, man, I just really, really loved competing. Like, man, I want to keep doing this. Um, some of my earlier, I always re- refer to 2010 as being my breakout year that w- I was a blue belt. Um, I was under a new team. I was, uh, under Novo Nyo, uh, under Gustavo Dottis. And, uh, that was my first, uh, year winning, uh, winning pans. Um, 2010, so I was at my first pans title and, I placed third in absolute. I won the Rio Open, and I placed third in absolute there. I um, placed double gold at American Nationals, like won my weight and the Open class, and and like started getting that role. And um, so 2010 was uh, or 2010 was a, was a really good breakout year for me as far as like wow I can do this, you know. Um, when I started furthering along, Purple Belt was definitely the hardest year. Um, I I think I met the most amount of heartache and. Um, in 2011, I almost thought I was going to quit jujitsu or at the very, at the very least, I thought I was going to quit competition. I thought I was like, you know, I don't know if I can handle competing anymore, uh, because of how, how closely, how much my, my value depended on me winning. Uh, I, I had no separation of my athletic self and my, um, like my just, Christina as Christina. So my, my value as a person was dependent on, on my results as an athlete. And so uh, I really, really considered quitting, um, because I, I just couldn't, my ego couldn't handle it. Christina, and I, I, yeah, I guess. Was that, was that something you put on yourself or was it something you felt from, uh, people around you or why that feeling? Com- completely all of myself. I, I just, uh, really believed that if I wasn't winning, then I wasn't valuable. If I wasn't um, getting gold medals or if I wasn't placing at the top, if I lost, that meant that I was no longer, um, like, my jiu-jitsu sucks. I'm, I'm not really good. I, I'm just lucky. I am, you know, like, I just, I, I had really, really... Uh, warped perception of who I was because who I was again as a as a as a performer you know from a young age uh, and always having to perform and always having to deliver a good performance suddenly giving performances that I wasn't proud of or that were less than what I thought were good performances even though I know that Everybody else sees a really good performance. Everybody else sees greatness. And I was the only one who couldn't. I was so critical. I was so like, oh, I messed up here. I messed up there. And now I'm a loser. Like, I lost a match. So that means I'm a loser. Not, I just lost a match. You know, that's, and then, um, and always having to win. Again, I didn't start competing really in anything. First time I started competing in anything was in breakdancing. <laughs> and that was, and that happened before I, I started doing, um, martial arts and, and, you know, competing in, in b-girling or b-boying that 
came in like in my late teens, like when I was like junior, senior in high school. Um, and so, you know, I didn't get to compete in anything and, and I didn't realize how competitive I was. And my entire life, I feel, I feel like I was always trying to prove myself, uh, in whatever it is that I did, always trying to prove my value through whatever it is I did. So if it was dancing, I had to be the best. I had to be, I had, I had to invest more time, um, and, and, and practice even more than everybody else because I needed, I felt like I needed to be the best. I needed to be, um, if, if it were, uh, playing an instrument, I had to be, you know, I had to be better. And then if I, and if I felt like I couldn't be the best at it, I, I, I didn't want to, I didn't want to show it, you know, I, I didn't, cause I didn't want anybody to criticize me that, oh, you're not the best. You know, I didn't, I didn't, I, in my head, it's just like, either you're going to be the best at it or you don't do it at all. And, um, because otherwise, you know, people are just going to look at you or you're just a fake, you're just a pretender, you're just a wannabe. You know, and, um, and, and I always just wanted to be seen. I, I had a heart, I'm, despite my openness and I'm very friendly, anyone who knows me, like they can talk to me and I'm very approachable. I'm, I'm always smiling, I'm always laughing, I'm always joking. And again, that just comes from being a natural performer. I'm okay with being in front of people, but in a social aspect, I'm very uncomfortable. I, I have a hard time until, until martial arts came into my life. I had a really hard time making friends. Um, it's still, it's still awkward. Um, when I'm in St. Apple party atmospheres in atmospheres where I don't have a job. Uh, so my way of being able to connect with people would be spending, investing my time into these things that I would do would be painting or like dancing or, performing arts and then later on martial arts. So it'd be really throwing myself into these activities so I could feel worthy enough to be friends with people. So I could feel like I am valuable enough for people to want to know me or want to befriend me or want to have me in their life. So that connection with losing, um, especially having it happen a lot in purple belt, like I'm coming from 2010, which was an incredible year. I'm, pretty much winning everything. Um, and if not winning, then, you know, losing to the person who is winning, you know, um, having, having that, and then all of a sudden hitting a wall and losing a lot, you know, um, for me was just very hard for me to cope with in the beginning. And then again, like no one else put that pressure on me. It was completely my own, perception of myself and the expectations that I believe that other people had of me when really, um, they were just happy with seeing me competing or, or training and, and just me being me was good enough, but I couldn't see that. And it, it, it really didn't come together until 2012. Like I, I got over that hump in 2011. It still was pretty hard in 2012. And then finally I started getting into mental training and really started working on looking into myself and, and reflecting on why I saw myself the way that I did and why my, my value depended so much on my results. Why, why I needed that. Because until then, until I actually started doing the mental training and then until I actually started looking at myself and looking at the why as uh, behind the behavior and behind the, the, 
the reactions to to the events that would happen in my life, um, I was in complete denial, complete denial that um, that I had self image issues and uh, self esteem issues and self confidence issues. I, I would cover it up with like, I just need to train more. I just need to study more. I just need to do more of this. I just, like, I wanted to do everything else except for really look at myself and say, Hey, I am afraid of losing. I'm afraid of losing because I'm afraid that if I lose, that means that I'm no longer valuable. And, um, <laughs> and that's like a whole nother conversation. I mean, we can, we can, we can elaborate <laughs> that on that more because, uh, because of that breakthrough in competition, yeah. then it's it's developed who I am now, and that's the reason why I have the success I do now. Because if it wasn't for feeling like complete and utter crap as a purple belt and feeling tiny, small, and insignificant, and breaking past that wall of saying of, of seeing how low I could get because I brought myself to being that low, um, I would not be where I am now, which is competing at the highest level at the black belt division and being at the top, being second at my weight class, you know, um, which is still hard for me to, I say accept, but it's very surreal to me. Like I've always had in my head that I could, I could be the best and I could be at the top. Um, that has never been a question, but now that it's actually happening, it's very surreal. Because I still see myself as the underdog. I still see myself as the small white belt <laughs> girl that's the only, the, the smallest person in class and is, I'm still that, still the same white belt, you know, uh, back at Caesars, Caesars Academy and just wanting to train and just wanting to be there and wanting to be the best. I, I, people say, oh, you're a beast, you're this, you're that. And I'm like, I'm just a normal girl. I, I, I really see that I'm just a normal person. I just do, I just do more. I just do things that other people don't want to do, or I'm willing to do a lot more. And so it's not that I'm extraordinary. It's just the things that I'm doing are just above and beyond what, um, what I think other people are willing to do. And I think anybody who wants to be a world-class or like, you know, world champion level, they're going to do that same thing too. We're, we're normal people. Like we, we have to sleep and we have to eat and we go to the bathroom and we have to shower and we have all the same body functions. We just, I guess we just think a little differently. So you kind of hinted at or mentioned a little bit that you uh, recently got second place in in the world in in your class (laughs) of black belt. That's amazing accomplishment for, uh, for someone to do, especially someone with as little time on the mat as you actually have. You definitely jumped right into that division and, uh, and made yourself well known uh, in, in doing that. So, uh, that's, that's just, that's just an amazing thing you did, uh, recently. Thank you so much. Yeah. It's, uh, it's still, still surreal. Um, I, I, I mentioned it in some of my posts and social media, um, the past few days, but that is my first time ever making it to the finals at worlds at my weight division ever. Well, that was an amazing first half interview there with uh, Christina Barlin. Make sure you don't miss part two next week. So definitely you need to tune in and get some more tips and more advice from Christina. Yep. Uh, definitely enjoyed uh, learning from her and learning just about her and kind of the initial setup. We'll get into more of her competition stuff and, 
and some advice from her in the second half of the interview. It's going to be next week. So uh, if you enjoyed this, which I'm sure you did, uh, come back next week, my friends. Definitely. And I think it's time for the, the cool new part of our part of our show, the, the Mad Stories. Gary, I'm a little nervous here. Uh, hope, hope it's well received. It's a little different. I don't think anyone's really ever done anything quite like this for a jiu-jitsu podcast, but uh, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, we'll see. I think it's going to be one of our f- favorite segments uh, to our show. So the, the reason, I think it's pretty neat. The, the reason why Gary's digging on this segment already is because it gets him out of his <laughs> segment. His, the pressure you figured cooker. it out. The, uh, we were talking about this you know, in between the while recording it here, and we're not going to do Gary's audiobook segment when we do this because it's just, it's just too much stuff going on, I guess. So uh, unless I got a real good audiobook for him to work on, and then maybe I'll throw that at you anyway. But uh, this is this is bailing Gary out. So uh, enjoy this, Gary. Oh, I will. Thank you. <laughs> this is Matt Tales. We bring you amazing jujitsu stories. The story might be funny. Unfortunate, it could be about an epic fail or an epic win. So sit back, my friend, relax, dry off your sweat from rolling, and enjoy Matt Tales. I was fairly new to BJJ and extremely excited to take a seminar from a BJJ black belt. Having only trained with white belts and a couple of blue belts, I was convinced that this would be a glorious day in my BJJ training. The day before the seminar, I was told by my boss that I would need to come into work for eight hours. I could not believe it. My hopes and dreams getting this precious mat time with such a skilled grappler were fading. I soon devised a plan. It was a long shot, but worth a try. I asked my boss if I could come into work early. I suggested that I might even be able to get more work done due to having less distractions around me. My boss agreed and gave me his set of keys, but he was a little surprised to hear that I planned on coming in at 4 in the morning. That morning, I crawled out of bed shortly after 3, had just enough time to eat a small breakfast, get dressed, throw my gi in the car, and be off to work. I got to work and my motivation to train with a black belt was all the fuel I needed to be super productive at work. By the time my boss got there, I was ahead of schedule, and he was impressed. In order to leave on time, I skipped lunch. With 30 minutes left in my shift, my boss told me that I had done a great job and could take off. My gym did not have a locker room, and the restroom was less than desirable to change in. So I grabbed my key and decided to change in the work restroom. Once in the restroom, I locked the door. The handle on this door is often stubborn, so I pulled hard on the handle as I locked it. I felt something in the handle pop, but thought nothing of it. I quickly changed into my gi. Up to this point, my day was going perfectly. This is when I discovered that the door was in fact broken. But not just broken. It was locked and broken. This, of course, predated cell phones. So I resorted to yelling for help. I spent five minutes yelling for help. Then ten. Ten turned to fifteen. I was going to be running late because I was locked in the bathroom and no one could hear my cries for help. Finally, a co-worker, Don, heard me yelling. I quickly explained to Don that I was stuck in the restroom and needed to get out as quickly as possible. Don told me to hang on and he would get the boss to use his key to unlock the door from the outside. 
Don returned in a few minutes to inform me that the boss was out running errands. I put the lid down on the toilet seat and waited. This was the first time all day that I took a break. My stomach reminded me that I had skipped lunch. The frustration of missing the beginning of the seminar and no food was a lot for me to handle. I started to look around. Perhaps there was a solution to my problem inside the bathroom. What would MacGyver do, I asked myself. I began to take inventory of my available supplies. Toilet scrub brush, paper towels, shelving, first aid kit, cleaning solution. That's solution, but that's not the right type of solution I'm looking for. No MacGyver-like inventions came to mind. So I will sit and I will wait for my boss and his key. After being trapped for about an hour, my boss arrived. The timing was not good, but this would mean I could still make most of the seminar. My boss informed me that he did not have a key to the bathroom. He did not have the key to the bathroom because I had the key to the bathroom. It was on the keychain that he gave me so I can get to work before everyone else. When he told me this, I felt a bit stupid and embarrassed because I could hear a collection of co-workers nearby release a chuckle. I could tell that I was the entertainment in the office today. I took the key off the key ring and slid it under the door. I guess my MacGyver skills failed to account for the key in my pocket. My boss inserted the key into the lock, but the lock did not release. I heard him jiggle the handle. Still, it would not turn. Then I heard the key snap. What happened, I asked. The key broke. Now what are we going to do? Hang on, we'll figure something out. I waited for about another hour, periodically asking what was going on and checking for updates, reminding them that I was still in here. Word was, they called my boss's boss. Somebody who does not work Saturdays, but for me, in my situation, he was coming down. I was guessing with his permission, they would be able to break the door down, thus releasing me from my prison cell. After an hour passed by, I reflected on the amazing seminar that I had missed. I thought about my coach, and that I had let him down by not showing up. I thought about my teammates, that all probably took a giant step in their math skills this day. I briefly mourned the seminar. It had come, and it had passed, and it would soon be time for me to move on with my life. But first, I would need to get out of this prison. Finally, I heard the big boss's voice. What are you doing in there? I'm stuck, I said with frustration in my voice. Don't worry, we'll get you out of there. For some reason, this was actually reassuring. Like in the back of my mind, they would all just go home and leave me here. Soon, someone started banging on the door handle, followed by brief pauses to assess the lock, followed by more banging and tinkering. The banging stopped for a while. I began to wonder if they were taking a break. About ten minutes after the banging had stopped, the ceiling tile above the door started to move, and then was lifted. This is when I saw the big boss's head appear in the ceiling. He was clearly standing on a ladder on the other side of the door. He took one look at me, wearing my gi, and said, Did you try to karate chop the door? I don't do karate. I'm going to drop some tools down to you, and you could destroy that lock. The first tool was a tape measure, obviously a joke. Then came the tools I needed. A hammer, screwdriver, pry bar. I hit the handle again and again, 
Finally, it snapped off. The door loosened. I took the screwdriver, lined it up inside the handle, and hit the screwdriver with the hammer. Eventually, the lock was defeated. I emerged from my prison to a mocking cheer from my co-workers. Most of them stayed late to watch the rescue unfold. When I arrived home, I called my coach to ask about the seminar and apologize for missing it. He informed me that the seminar was, in fact, awesome. And they had mostly worked on escapes. I told him that I also worked on escapes today. This has been Matt Tales. Some of the names and places may have changed. We may have, in fact, taken some creative liberties with the story. In order to keep Matt Tales going, we need more tales. Tales from listeners like you. Send your Matt Tales to bjjbrick at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing your amazing stories. All right, that was our first episode of Matt Tales, and I uh, hope you enjoyed it. The the we got a couple more we're working on. We're not going to be able to produce one every week, so Gary, you're back on the hook next time, probably for making up a nice uh, audiobook for you for the audience. Oh. But uh, we'll we'll do one of these whenever we can. As soon as we can, we'll get when we get it done, we'll put it on there and share it with you. But the real kicker of it is is we need a little bit of help. Because uh, we need the stories. That's what it's all about. We need people to send in some amazing things that's happened to them on or off the mat, but mat-related. And uh, just share your story, and, and we'll make it into a similar uh, type of a little storytelling session for everybody to enjoy. Also, I kept thinking about was imagine, you know, you're kind of new in your jiu-jitsu journey. You're finally going to get to train with a black belt. You're going to learn so much. You, you're just so excited. You've, you've already got the time off from your boss. You're working extra to get that. And then all of a sudden you get locked in there and you cannot get out. And all that you're thinking about is watching the time go by and go by and go by. And, and sooner or later you're like, it's too late. I've missed everything. And, and man, that's, that's got to be a rough time to be locked, locked in that bathroom. Yeah, it's it's like a like a little prison cell, and something really good is happening uh, outside that. And I'm sure, you know, if you haven't trained with anybody, you know, upper belts, like it seems like it's an it, and it is an amazing opportunity to train with somebody uh, that that's up there. But maybe a little bit blown out of uh, proportion in your head of, of what your teammates are actually going to get out of it sometimes. But uh, yeah, very frustrating to be wanting to be somewhere really needing to be somewhere and uh, just not be able to make it. You know, the one thing I would like to know, did that person get paid? He was still <laughs> at work. I don't think he's clocked out and he's stuck in the, the bathroom. I mean, did did you get paid to at least make it a little bit better? I would hope so. I don't know. I think probably legally uh, you would, you would be getting paid because you're uh, I don't know. It's, it's, it's your work's fault. So yeah, hopefully. yeah. I mean, it's uh, uh, you know, the work didn't provide a good, I guess you would say, a, a good lock or a good bathroom. <laughs> you're still on work, and and you know you haven't clocked out yet, and you were supposed to leave at let's say three o'clock, and you didn't get to leave to seven. So I hope they got paid. If if whoever sent that one into us, you know, if you were listening, you know, just send us back an email and say, hey, tell us whether or not you got paid. But I hope you did. 
reality, I probably they had to buy uh, the new lock for the door because they got it broken. So. Yeah, they, uh, <laughs> they took it out of his paycheck. Yep. Sorry about that, buddy. Uh, yeah. We're gonna have to dock this because you broke it. Yeah, not fun. Not fun, double not fun, Gary. But uh, that was fun having that story and, and doing that. So we anticipate uh, a little bit more audience participation in this and, and doing more of these in the future. So uh, definitely uh, send us the email of your story, and we'd be happy to share it with the audience if it's uh, something that fits. Yeah, as long as it fits. And it doesn't have to be bad news all the time. We could have a good one. Oh, yeah, it can be It can be good. Just Just anything that's a little out of the ordinary. Kind of like Byron and myself, so uh, we're a little out of the ordinary, and we we like that kind of stuff. We've we've learned about ourselves being out of the ordinary through our uh, reviews that we've gotten on iTunes and Stitcher Radio, and in the Google Music uh, Play Store. If you want to write us a review, we would greatly appreciate it. If you live in the U.S., we'll even mail you out a little BJJ Brick Gee Patch, just as a token of appreciation. Uh, we do. Definitely appreciate the funny reviews. So if you want to kind of poke fun at us or, or you know, kind of make up something, there's plenty of funny reviews to, to read in the iTunes, for examples. But uh, we definitely appreciate those that are that make us laugh a little bit, and we'll be happy to share those as well on the uh, podcast. Yep, and definitely uh, tell your training partners and friends about us. Uh, give us a shout-out to them, and hopefully we'll get some more listeners. And also check us out on social media. Like I said earlier, we're on YouTube. Facebook is our big one. We're on Twitter. We're on Reddit. So definitely check us out, uh, BJJ Brick, and uh, and hope you enjoy us. Gary, we've got a new thing on the website here. It's called the BJJ Brick Wall of Support, and uh, it's just is that a- anything like a shock strap? <laughs> it's a little different in a couple of different ways, and I guess similar in the fact that it gives support. So uh, okay, we've got. Uh, a couple of people on there already. It's basically the Patreon supporters that are supporting us above the $2 level will get their name on the brick wall. And uh, we'll put a link to the, the brick wall support on the on the show notes. You can check it out. It's got new artwork. You know, it's uh, I think it's pretty good. It's got uh, Gary wearing his no-gi gear, and then I'm wearing a gi because, uh, you know, that's, that's how Gary trains no-gi most of the time. So I figured- and I do think... Most of the time, but the gi on in a couple, three, four years. But I do think that Byron did Photoshop out my hairline. Oh man, I really appreciate that, Byron. Thank you. Oh man. So uh, if you want to see what Gary's talking about, I don't think it uh, looks bad. Uh, my nose is slightly bigger than it usually is, I guess, or it is, but uh, really not that much bigger. So, uh, but anyway, Gary and I are a little animation people or whatever are building a wall and we need your support to help build this wall. Uh, so we have Alexander, uh, from Latvia, Craig from, uh, Australia and Rob from, uh, Kansas city all already on the wall. So they already got the names. Thanks guys. Yeah. And I noticed too, we have been getting a couple, um, I've got a couple emails about somebody wanting to donate a lot of money because they heard we're building a wall. And it's from a guy named Donald Trump. So uh, we'll have to get back uh, and talk to this Mr. Trump about building a wall. I think he's going to make us pay for our own wall, Gary. Oh, okay. Well, we don't want to do that. <laughs> That's probably as political as we get on the show. Uh, but yeah. uh, Let's put it this way. I, I don't follow politics, but uh, I do know about the wall building. There you go. But we do have our, our three friends' names on this wall, figuratively speaking. We got Alexander, Craig, and Rob. Uh, thank you so much for contributing uh, to the BJJ Brick podcast. 
every week. If you would like to learn how to get on this wall or how to get the big BJJ Brick Gee Patch, which all these people have got, uh, check out the video in the show notes. There's a little video of me explaining what our Patreon uh, goals are and how you can be part of that and help support us and help make us produce the best show possible for you. So uh, it's it's been a lot of fun, and I, I really thank those guys so much for being the, some of the first people to step up and, and lend support to us. That means a lot to us. And, and really yeah, shows that, that, we might get that means a lot to us. Uh, you know, you're, you're the first people on the wall too. I, I think that's, uh, I think that's pretty cool. Yep. And we'll continue to fill it from the bottom. Yeah. So let's say we ever become a big show and, uh, we become famous. That will be the first three ever. And, uh, you'll always remember the first, the first interview, our first <laughs> reviewer of the year, Nathan Hadley, and uh, so I think that's pretty cool. Yeah. And and another thing we're doing is they get a link to their uh school, their school. on the on the page there. So I don't know how much it helps. I don't know how it really works with Google, but more links to the site that that, that you want to do well should should help a little bit. So yeah, if someone's looking for better. Jitsu in your area, that might make the, make your school pop up a little bit higher than others or whatever, other martial arts places. Who knows? But so you get a link to your school, you get your name on there. And uh, that's just one way of us saying thank you for helping us out. Yep. So definitely uh, um. check out the check out the new artwork because it uh, it's it get a little controversial with Gary saying his hairline's not quite that high. And, uh, yeah, it's probably I probably have less hair. Oh yeah. Oh. I'm trying to make myself look better. There you go. Yep. <laughs> but I, I think it's funny. It on, I blame it on Matt. Burn. You got Matt Burn on the forehead. Classic. Classic. Well, well, definitely make sure you uh, tune in next week. You don't want to miss uh, part two of Christina Marlin. Uh, as much uh, information as you got on this show, think of uh, getting double on the next show. So do not miss it. Yep. And with the summertime in full swing, we're getting uh, more travelers through town here. We're getting more people coming and training with us, Gary. That's awesome. If you're in Wichita, yep. Kansas, I don't know what you're doing here on vacation. Uh, but if you happen to be here or traveling through, hit us up at bjjbrick at gmail.com. And uh, we'll be happy to try to get some mat time with you. So uh, we are looking forward to more and more of that. As always, stay sweaty, my friends. And don't forget to shower. Thank you for listening. I hope you find the time today to roll. After all, the best way to get better at Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is to do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. <laughs>